0: There are vampire legends on almost every inhabited planet.
1: Really, there's no need to make such a fuss over a few drops of blood. Hold to a. Yes, and what do you do? It is our place to serve. Be silent. Besides, resistance would be useless. I said be silent. No, please don't be silent. It's so fascinating. Here! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. I'm Pete Paschal.
0: And I'm Chris Taylor and we're a couple of journalists have written about Doctor Who. Uh, may uh, One of us may have written Doctor Who fanfic in the past, can't confirm <laughs> or deny that. Um, but we, uh, we love uh, taking this random journey through the show and how random it's been. Uh, what's, what's it the has previously been on? previously on Pull to Open.
1: We were at Robot of Sherwood, which was uh, the one and only uh, episode to feature Robin Hood in all of mm-hmm. Doctor Who. And it took them until something like the mid-2010s to do it. Yep. Um, so that was a good little jaunt. Uh, prior to that, of course, we were at Smile because uh, Peter Capaldi is the randomizer's favorite yeah. The Doctor, uh, the Randomizer, of course, navigating our random journey here on Pull the Open. Uh, uh, you know so what?
0: We... The, the, I figured out the, the Randomizer doesn't love uh, Jodie Whitaker. Uh, unfortunately. We, it, it has not Ooh. actually taken us to a single Jodie story. And I think the Randomizer has that classic thing of like, you, you never really like the Doctor after your first Doctor. 'Cause they always oh, seem like a bit true. of an imposter. Too, yeah. So and they sort of killed killed your dad. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's why the randomizer doesn't love Jody, but it does love Peter. Right. Yeah, so it does it loves Peter Capaldi.
1: Um and so we had back to back to quality the So we had Smile prior to Rob- Robot of Sherwood, also very ro- both robot featuring. Mm-hmm. Very a lot of robots in the last two. And prior to that, we were at an epic, uh, considered an epic in the classic series, which was the Deadly Assassin.
0: Yeah, we went through a series of Time Lord based stories, and this was sort of the the original and many consider the best. And uh, and now here we are again with elements of all of these recently supposedly random shows that we've watched in our latest story which is state of decay yeah and i'm, ex- I'm excited Tom to hear Baker's your final season yeah yeah we, we <laughs> we I, I wasn't i didn't get one
1: <laughs> <laughs> apart from deadly assassin but the other two i'm a little not I, quite sure
0: I did not until I started watching it, but but we'll get there. And uh, certainly, you got to say that the randomizer's second favorite doctor is Tom Baker. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of a lot of Baker content. In fact, some weeks it seems like we're just going back and forth between Baker and Capaldi. Especially if you throw in the the one Colin Baker uh, appearance. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Colin Baker also yes. with a very random connection to this very story, State of Decay. But again, that's something we'll get to. Later in the show, but first, let's talk about our week uh, in reviews and social media and all of that good online stuff in our online yeah. presence. So
1: we love to talk about reviews because we love reviews, guys. Um, reviews are great. We uh, They obviously really help the podcast. Uh, as any podcaster, podcast savvy person knows, podcasts thrive on reviews. The more reviews we can get on various platforms, especially Apple, the more visible the podcast is to more people so uh Mm -hmm. if you're listening and you like what you hear please 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 leave a review they really don't take long you could just pause the playback on you don't even have to pause the playback actually you could keep listening don't don't even pause it yeah go go to the section of your app where you can review um what you're listening and just leave a review um you know we're not going to tell you what to write in fact you don't have to write much you could write an emoji a thumbs up way to go guys love the podcast or something like that and just uh, save it. And yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, sure how many stars you want to leave, but we love the five star reviews, and they would uh, be really, really great at keeping the show visible. So, Pete, uh, head on Pete, over.
0: uh you, uh, you've, you've previously on the show promised a a special prize out of mm. the the first fifty comments. One, one of you will yes. win a special prize. Are you prepared to say anything more about what that special prize is? Um, I will say.
1: It is something you cannot get anymore outside of maybe the rare eBay appearance. Oh. So mm. it is it is something that is not uh, readily available that you can just sort of go out and buy. That's for sure.
0: So uh, if you're a collector and you're listening to this, this may be your only opportunity to get this mystery item mm. and tell all your Whoian friends whatever this is. Uh, are you could you narrow it down to new Who or or classic Who? uh i can narrow it down to it is it is
1: features in both but this one is from new who so i'll i'll leave
0: it at that Mm -hmm. okay okay well that's that's very interesting most of our fans seem to come through new who so uh yeah so so common to get a piece of uh new who much is not available anywhere else and Mm -hmm. uh it's not been another great week on tiktok where People seem to love the uh, the Robot of Sherwood commentary, particularly the one about uh, uh, how our new headcanon, how, how the Doctor chose Patrick Trouton's face, given that Patrick Trouton is featured in the show as a, a former Robin Hood.
1: Yeah, a lot of discussion in that one. I think a lot of people get excited about regeneration and mm. how it works, and it sort of has changed over the years. But the idea that the Doctor could be influenced by People he meets uh, is now canon, as yep. we've seen. And so the going back and sort of trying to figure out if that had happened previous to the uh, Smith into Capaldi is always a fun thing. And I think this is, you, you had a great theory that, oh, he sees, well, we see the Patrick and figure in his uh, research on the Robin Hood on the ship. Mm-hmm. But then that shows, oh, wait, that's a real show in the Doctor Who universe. Yep. Maybe Bill Hartnell was checking that out and yeah. decided, Hey, that's a cool, cool face.
0: I'll, I'll do that. We don't know when he came to earth. It might've been in 1953 when the, uh, when the show first appeared or maybe it was repeated on the BBC or who knows, maybe he's just in space latently picking up the, the broadcast. And he's like, Ooh, that looks like a cool hmm. planet. I'll go check it out. Anyway. Yes. We, we love to have a lot of head here on, on Pull to open. Uh, so, uh, they, they translate well to, to TikToks and, uh, so much head cannon, it's it's spilling out of our ears all the time. Yeah. That's why we wear these headphones, guys. It's to contain
1: <laughs> the head cannon. It's not to, you know, record the pod or whatever. Although that's a nice secondary benefit. But um, the, the TikTok's been great. There's always great discussion on the stuff that we share out there. We're actually closing in on five thousand followers. That's funny. I'm looking at this, the, my notes for the show, and I, I wrote this a little earlier in the week, and. We have, I wrote we have more than 4,600 followers. we have actually blown past that in just the past couple of days. Woo-hoo! And so uh, we're closing it on 5K, which is great. Again, if we get to 10K, there'll be more prizes for someone. We'll figure out what that is. But uh, keep sharing the videos with your friends. Keep uh, please interacting with them. We love the discussion on TikTok. So much so that we have our new regular feature, the best TikTok comment of the week. And I've got a contender right here. All right. Um, So this is on one of the other uh, robot of Sherwood videos that we shared. Mm -hmm. This is the one where I was sort of identifying the point in the show in that episode where you kind of either it either wins you over or loses you where it gets sort of totally kind of silly on a certain level. And that's when the doctor fights Robin with a spoon and he Robin Hood as a sword, which again, can be fun and was fun. It's just, you know, it's a little like, wait a minute. If you're trying to look at this with a skeptical eye, there's, you could easily do that. So someone replied to the comment. I like this comment a lot. Is, uh Jonathan. The the, name, the handle is Jonathan underscore H96. Um, and it reads, even in the wildest legends, Robin Hood was never a master combatant. He was just a dude. That, against a millennia-old space wizard with ADHD, easy bet. <laughs> and I just like th- this, particularly the last bit of this comment, where it's like, hmm, you got a point there, sir. Somehow, in the thousand years of existence and skill building, the doctor has mastered the ability to fight a sword with a spoon. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go with that. That that helps. That helps a lot. Know, I, I didn't rem-
0: I didn't mention this last week, but I I sometimes we have false memories about Doctor. Right? It's it's such a large canon, and it's like you know, unless you're like watching every episode every year. Uh, there's no way to, to keep all this stuff straight in your head. I had misremembered the scene with the spoon as containing some sort of reference to Venusian Aikido. Wow. Uh, and uh, which, of course, was a, was a Pertwee thing. And we've discussed it before when we visited Inferno. And uh, I uh, and it wasn't referenced. And, and maybe it's. I think that you or I were writing Doctor Who reviews at this time for that season, and may mm-hmm. have mentioned Venusian Aikido in the review, or maybe we were discussing it on Slack or whatever workplace we had before. Uh, account we had before Slack. Uh, we. I, I feel like we talked about. You know, this is why it's believable that the Doctor can can fight a uh, Robin Hood with a spoon. Like he he knows he knows Venusian yeah. And I feel like
1: when he's younger, as his previous incarnations were, they sort of underplay the physicality because it's a, obviously that's not what the show's about. But also, it's a little too on the nose for sort of mm. a younger action hero. Whereas when the Doctor is played by an older actor, again, this obviously was probably most realized in Pertwee. It is more surprising. And then like, mm. oh, wow, you know, like he, he can actually really handle himself. And he, even though you might underestimate him, due to his age, he's actually a, more of a formidable opponent, you know, and almost like a,
0: a Jedi, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Indeed. He's, well, he certainly hides a lot of his lights under a bushel. Certainly, when it comes to combat. <laughs> so, anyway, speaking of uh, social and online media, uh, I don't need to cut you short there, Pete. No if you want to keep thinking, no, I just wanted to shout out to Jonathan. Thanks for the comment. Yeah. and
1: thanks for following.
0: So, we're we're also big on uh, YouTube now. We we have. All of season one of to Open on YouTube? Can that be possible?
1: Well, by the time, by the time <laughs> this posts. Yes, <laughs> all of season one, which was a fairly short season. We were kind of a mid-season replacement in the 2019-2020 podcast yes. season. <laughs> um, but no, we, we've got them all up there. Uh, it was kind of a nice little blast through memory lane uh, looking at our podcast from the very beginning when we started with all the... Um, the Christmas specials and then we did mostly Jody Whittaker's season this is before we engaged the randomizer into the podcast um, and so there was a lot of good commentary and that's probably why if you guys are wondering when this post why the previous week had some some classics on TikTok. uh yeah. that's why we're, we're we've been looking into the archives but uh, by the time you listen to this yes the whole season one of pull to open is on YouTube uh, check it out there's some good commentary of some of the more recent Whitaker episodes, which might be a little why the, the randomizer, you know, does, isn't super hot on, on the era. They're like, OK, we already did some of that.
0: And something else we've talked about on the show before. We're going to do it in an upcoming episode. We are, we're going to pause, take a break, take a look back at all of the random stories that we've visited so far. And because we are Hoovians, what do we do? We rank them. Uh-huh. We, <laughs> nothing we like better than bringing out the old pencils and paper uh you know or you know apple pencil and ipad if you're new school um and and making and remaking a list and checking it twice and and then uh making a whole podcast about it so look forward to that hmm. please comment on it and then we'll rank your comments <laughs> <laughs> that could be enough we'll do a whole other show where we literally just rank every tiktok comment we've ever had uh, awesome. I'm into it. I'm I love into it. it. I'm ready. Cool.
1: I, I, as long as someone else is prepping the spreadsheet, I'm down. All right. <laughs> Chris, it might be about that time. Oh, <laughs> it's about that time. Yep. We've done the business, and it is <sighs> time to get into State of Decay. And we start every podcast, every mm. time we start talking about the episode, with TLDW. Oh. Too long, didn't watch. Too long, Doctor Who. And one of us... As to summarize the entire plot oh, of God. the episode, or in the story, in this case, in uh, record time, and you know this, what, this is a classic series, though. This is you get some, it I is some good time here.
0: We get thirty seconds per classic series episode, so I've got a okay. whole two minutes here. But you know what i i I have uh, I have problems with stage of decay. We'll we'll get into it. Uh, problems oh, with the plot, but one of the biggest problems with the pot plot is uh, I would summarize it as TLDR too long. Didn't retain. So, I don't feel like I've retained a lot of the story information. Uh, Having just watched it, you know, obviously we we do a lot of research around each episode. So, I sort of inhaled a lot of the plot that way and still not quite grokking or grasping a lot of things in it. So, I'm I'm not feeling confident (laughs) this week, is a short way of saying that. A bit of a state
1: of a decaying memory in your case. Okay.
0: Well, uh, no pun intended, actually, pun intended, but I'm vamping for time.
1: Uh, well, better to get it over with, then I think. So, in perhaps five seconds. Oh, sure. Two okay. Four,
0: three, two, one go okay so the doctor romana and canine and unbeknownst to them the stowaway adric uh have landed on a planet in e-space which is as opposed to normal space it's like this green version of space and they land on this planet and it sort of seems to have gone back to being medieval even though they have lots of high tech and uh the doctor meets a bunch of villagers and then they meet the the three who rule who often take a lot of villagers uh, for, for their own uh, purposes, which you don't know yet. Uh, uh, it turns out the three who rule are actually uh, the, the uh, you know, uh, remainders of this crew of a spaceship, the Havelocks, that, that came from Earth, and it, it got sucked into this planet because it got uh, sucked in by a great vampire that was going to turn them all into vampires and use them to get out of V space I guess, and... Uh, uh, and the three who rule are like uh, former officers on the ship, and, and really it's Orkan, the science officer formerly known as O'Connor, who's kind of the boss. And he wants to uh, use Adric, Wonder. turn him into a vampire, and uh, Romana is going to be a sacrifice. And uh, the Doctor and Romana get captured, and they get thrown in a dungeon. And they talk about this legend of the, the Time Lords and the vampires, Time Lords used to fight vampires. Rassilon used to fight vampires, and it's all in the TARDIS. So once they escape with the help of one of the villagers, they go back to the Type 40 TARDIS, which has the uh, record of Rassilon written in it. The figures out how to destroy vampires, and it's with a giant steel stake. So what's larger than the actual uh, spaceship itself? Yeah, it, it has great. a big spike on the top, so the Doctor resets it. So it goes up in the air, comes back down, kills the, the Great One, uh, before he can actually emerge, and uh, and then the vampires fade and die as well because they don't have the Great One's power anymore, and uh, and the the Doctor and Romano and Adric leaving the TARDIS, and, and and I guess nobody else gets to go, and the swarming doesn't happen, and 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 that's it. That's the end of State of Decay.
1: Bad time.
0: <laughs> you did too well. You had two whole seconds. I, honestly, yeah, I yes, didn't have pause there yet. I was like, wow. I just, I was I speed. I so wanted to finish this in time that, that I did had. it. Oh, I could I tell. Have a few extra seconds. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you think I did that? Do you think I, I missed out any main, main elements of the story? No,
1: you got it all. I think uh, you even had a little bit of K9 in there. Uh, or did you miss oh, k uh, had... Yeah, I kind of yeah, missed I think K-9. You had at the beginning. You mentioned them at the beginning and then K9 being a key part of the the rebel rebellion.
0: Yeah, K-9 uh, turns out part. to be the... Yeah. Uh, we, we sort of think that K-9's going to be... Oh, no, he's just the way to get into the tower, which is where the, the old spaceships are.
1: Yeah, he's really good at it. I,
0: like yeah. That's the cool thing. When they K-9 when becomes the
1: muscle in an episode, you're kind of like, wow, <laughs> that should have been plan A. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> why not just use the robot dog? And and by the way, why not just use the TARDIS? Because the, the mm. there is a the point... Uh, where the, the doctor, I also didn't mention the doctor kind of rallies the the, the, vitriors, the troops, uh, rallies the, the troops with a speech from Henry V or like it's a pastiche of the famous Henry V St. Crispin's Day speech mm-hmm. um, but he's got he's got the TARDIS right there and they're all sort of wandering around saying oh god if only we had a scanner and you know that's sort of solved by the fact that the ancient text still works but he's got a freaking right. scanner in the TARDIS and it's like it's one of those things like why doesn't the doctor whenever he's Rallying the villagers, as he seems to do a lot of. <laughs> he and she seems to do a lot of that throughout their history. Why not just use the the equipment in the TARDIS? Is and that like also, off limits? Yeah, I mean he he did he
1: used it to find out about the vampires and the great vampires, mm. but then it's like, and he, then he uses it to hop from the forest into the rebel hideout. Yeah, but he never thinks to think. Well, we could just go to the castle with this too. Yeah, that would be good or wherever <laughs> frankly get everyone off um yeah it's 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 one of those things where they they I, I guess there's a throwaway line that doesn't quite explain it and i maybe halfway does where the doctor says the these short hops are getting ra- are, i'm getting good at them implying that they're rather difficult
0: and they are, yes because he might end up somewhere random you know his doctor's always kind of taking his life in his hands whenever he uh, leaves in the TARDIS, and indeed, Andrick suggests at one point that he might just leave. Leave, right? Um, because he doesn't know him that well yet.
1: Like <laughs> I say, like I do like those times when he doesn't, uh, yeah. for you know, uh, because it's his job to do good things and help people. But the the how reliable the TARDIS is obviously varies widely. Uh, first and foremost on any script, but hmm. also in terms of the era of Doctor Who, and this is a bit of a. You know, Doctor Who nerd thing to note is that obviously he starts out his journey, it's 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 random. You know, it's basically a randomizer, and he yeah. can, he appears wherever. Uh, but then there's this kind of pe- period in the Pertwee era where he's exiled on Earth and is clearly like checking out the Tardis and like probably exploring things he never had, and sort of. So yeah. at the end of that era, he, it gets less random. He he can steer it now, and then by this point. Like I say, he's, he's just getting rather good at those short hops to the point where by the end of the classic series and into New Who, he's he's he can go, honestly, wherever he wants on purpose, even to with precision accuracy. So and, this kind of feels right to me. In and the, the, the
0: actual in-show randomizer is is not an effect at this point? So this, no.
1: Shut yeah. it off. He only yeah. had it really for a season or so. Yeah. Like,
0: he left it in uh, oh, Arg- Argolis, I think?
1: In, like, the Leisure Hive? Someone, oh, someone right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So in the, in this very season, well, that's that's a perfect yeah. segue to talk about the season in general. Mm-hmm. So this is season eighteen of the old show, and this Decay. is really the first uh, season that I remember watching all the way through. Oh, cool! A- and uh, how old were you? I actually turned <laughs> seven years old on the day that the first episode of State of Decay was broadcast. Wow! Yeah. Happy yeah. birthday, belatedly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do oddly enough associate watching Doctor Who with with my birthday. It seems to be a thing that I did a lot, and and the, I did you too. Know, actually, my friends would do a lot. Like we'd have viewing parties because that was the thing. Doctor Who was on in the autumn, and you just sort of you know my birthday is in November, and you know it was kind of a thing. You did you gathered around the screen on those late autumn nights as the as the days got shorter um so yeah i remember season 18 very well for a number of reasons i remember it because of the scarf and youtube viewers can see i'm wearing the season 18 tom baker scarf my favorite of the of the baker scarves you wear it well thank you sir and my my wife actually knitted this for me uh with love because as i've mentioned on the show many times before we we met over doctor who we bonded over doctor who and uh so this is One of the one of the longest term projects you have to be is is like the actual length. It's huge. It's great to wear on a on a winter's day Um, and uh, don't get too many opportunities to wear it here in San Francisco, but uh, but love to wear it. Season 18. It was also John Nathan Turner's first season. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Which, yeah, that's there's good and bad elements of that. But he to to the point that we were just talking about, he felt that uh, K nine was too much of a superpower, for the mm, doctor to have, and that's fair. You know, two time lords and a robot dog that could do just about anything would like, you know, it's uh, as many writers have said about the Jedi. If you have just like full full strength Jedi in Star Wars. Then it's kind of boring because they're superheroes and there's nothing they can't do. You know, you, you have to yeah, diminish them to in that. some way.
1: Yeah, like, I like, I actually don't mind that idea. Mm. Um, like, I, I I respect John Nathan Turner for coming in and trying to make his hero more of an underdog, which he did even more so the following season by taking away the sonic screwdriver mm. uh, in a very permanent sort of way. Like, he took it away from all Colin Baker and uh, Sylvester McCoy as well. That, that sonic screwdriver actually does not come back until the new series.
0: Yeah. Or Do you yeah, yeah. have it in the TV movie? I can't even remember, honestly. It's I don't possible. Know. That's a good question. Uh, I So the, the JNT era, obviously it's it's controversial for a lot of ways, but you cannot uh, fault him for for wanting to overhaul things. Yeah. You know. We well, cannot... it's
1: also the 80s, right? Like, this is yeah. the thing. The culture was getting overhauled in a yeah. lot of ways. And I would say, even though you look at, season 18 and Eden subsequent seasons, I mean, they, they, they feel very, they feel dated to us. Certainly. I mean, they reek of the eighties, which is, you know, it's just what it is, but (laughs) you could argue this was 1980. Like he was getting ahead of trends, you know, putting in like all this, uh, the costumes, the synth music, which we can talk about. Uh, but you know, you really started to, wow, this is Dr. Who in the eighties. Like they dove in right away.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you know he kind yeah. of sets out a stake with the new, the new version of the theme, right? The new opening credits, and it's my favorite
1: title sequence. I'll just say, not not Baker's, because I actually didn't mm. even know Baker had this uh, as one of his title sequences until I'd seen season eighteen. Well, after I'd seen season uh, 19, 20, and twenty-one, because mm. uh, I started with Davison, as you know, yeah, and so yeah. the Davison credits always have a special place in their heart for me. But yeah, when I, yeah. I I remember. When I was going through Tom Baker's run for the first time and I came to uh, the Leisure Hive, which I believe is the first one in this si- in this season. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that first moment where it's the, the, the star field when I, I I was just so surprised because I'd always associated that with Davison, And I was like, wait, <laughs> did he regenerate already? Like what? And then it shows Tom, Tom Baker's face. Mm. And I'm like, oh my god, he had a, he like they they did these credits with him, like holy cow. They did. Like, I had they no did. idea.
0: And that was a bone of contention for me, age age six, as I was at the start of season eighteen. Uh because I had so loved the Time Tunnel, which were and right. were in my favorite uh opening credits. And uh so I felt a bit cheated by that. And yeah, I think they worked a lot better for Davison. I think you know that once once his face is there. But speaking of faces, my goodness, does Tom Baker look old? And yeah, and sick.
1: well, apparently he was sick for some yeah. of the shoot, and yep. he you can almost tell if you look closely which scenes were filmed. I'm not sure what whether he was healthy and then sick, or sicker than healthy, but which ones where he's not feeling well because his even his hair doesn't look that good. I mean, I, yeah. I read somewhere that he had to give he actually was losing his curls because he was so yes. thick and they had to perm his hair to make so, it look passably curly
0: yeah speaking of getting ahead of 80s trends my goodness tom baker <laughs> had his hair permed for, the, for yeah. doctor who which is again another reason i think why the randomizer brought us here uh because we we were recently at mysterious planet and Colin baker's actual 80s perm uh mm. but not not the not the first doctor who uh, actor with, with permed hair uh, mm. I'll, I'll just throw in my other piece of Colin Baker trivia before I forget it because it is so damn trivial uh, but <laughs> Colin Baker was actually considered uh, in the role of Orcon.
1: Uh, oh interesting
0: so was Ian McKellen and wow <laughs> that would have been amazing weirdly enough right well Orkan's such a great role and they they definitely
1: got a great actor in it but that's really good that's interesting and I also feel like um, might have influenced his casting the yes. following year in Arc of Infinity, or no? Was it two years later? I forget when Arc of Infinity is. I think it's two seasons later, and he's such a dick, you know, yes. like he you know, just this, uh, this cold, cold Galfrain guard, which maybe you know he he would for the cold, cold vampire. Indeed. So. I mean, it's,
0: it's interesting and, and it would have been even more interesting if he had actually been cast because you know JT did did sort of always love Colin Baker more than the fandom. I think you know that's yeah. why he cast him. And you know, you could argue that maybe that casting was was uh ultimately detrimental to the show, actually ultimately, ultimately contributed to mm. its demise, JNT's demise. Um, you know, that that's for fans to argue over. But I like the idea that it's sort of baked in no pun intended. Right mm-hmm. here at the beginning in season eighteen, when he was almost cast, and uh, yeah. But but uh, speaking of casting, yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk Adric. Yeah, Mister Matthew, Matthew Waterhouse. Yeah, this is the randomizer is bringing us Adric's uh, stories in in filming order. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be it because <laughs> this is the first one. State of Decay. The previous story was actually, I believe, the second that he'd filmed. Right.
1: And it's it's our it's our first Adric story, right? Yes. Like we haven't actually talked about an Adric story, and so yes, this was his first time on set. And um, I mean, I I don't hate it. I mean, I think he's fine. Um, he's clearly kind of a rookie, but I do like when he gets a little more active in his own destiny, in like episodes three and four.
0: Um, and I think, yeah. yeah, something I think, else I didn't uh, mention in the TLDW is that that he is. Uh, he is supposedly playing at at being on the, the bad guy's side, Uh, but just kind of, you know, and it, it doesn't come across as that. It just, but I think that's good. I actually like that
1: because we don't know what quite, what to make of Adric at this point. And Mm. we, we've, we've seen him in full circle, but he's not a fully formed character. And we, we don't know to what extent he is using the doctor just as passage somewhere. Or for a life of adventure or whatever. Or he's got some more sinister ideas here. So I like that you're kind of made to think maybe he isn't uh, a good guy, almost in the vein of Turlo, uh even though Doctor Who at this point isn't quite that kind of show. But again, yes. he's getting shaken up. Who knows,
0: right? Yeah, it's definitely he's definitely Turlo and embryo, uh, you might say. You know, JNT definitely had mm-hmm. this idea of like, let's get someone younger, let's get someone more relatable, let's get someone who could be, you know, ambiguously good, good or bad? And uh, in fact, in uh, when his casting was announced uh, in London's Evening News, he was called an artful dodger, <laughs> uh, which is sort of like we should not all be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, he. It's not really a, a great description of what of Matthew no. Water has has the strengths as an actor, right? He's he's definitely not a. He's not an awful dodger. He's more of a cockney white boy, right? He's uh, Right. right. He's more of an artful whiner. He's he's a posh kid, and yeah, yeah, a bit of a whiner. And he's yeah, he, doesn't he definitely has a come across great. This yeah. entitled attitude
1: about yeah. him, which I think uh, I'm not sure where Matthew Waterhouse ends and the character begins um because all sort of rumor around matthew waterhouse was that he was he, was, he had a bit of that attitude to him mm. and that when he came on set there's all this and i don't want to get too much into the gossip but like apparently he had some comment on one of yeah. the lines he first performed with tom baker which tom Baker did not like him uh at least at, at the start because he of that, uh, told he just felt, tom baker you know,
0: how to read a line yeah which is first like stay on set
1: First day on any I don't know if it's any set but I mean like certainly one of his very first TV gigs I'm yeah. sure um which is a little like you know I think as a as a seasoned actor especially one who's done this a role for seven seasons at this point you either react as Tom Baker did in you know sort of not really liking him or just laugh your guts out I think it's <laughs> the other way like I like <laughs> you kid you you might I think you might go places, all right? You know, just kind of like take it as a as sort of the non-comment. It, it sort of is. Um, I think that might be a classier way to deal with it. But
0: I think that's how he might have dealt with it had he not had a lot of onset tension with uh, with right. Lala, Lala Ward, uh, which is which yeah. is interesting because uh, one of the other things I remember about being uh, turning seven in 1980, and uh, they, we it was announced that December uh several serials after state of decay uh or actually during state of decay i believe it was announced that they they got gotten married mm-hmm. um, cuz yeah this was on december 1980 and uh, they they became uh mr and mrs uh tom baker and i i, I was this shows sort of the, the sexist presumption of the time but i remember thinking oh she's she's going to be called lala baker now and, and so, <laughs> As a kid, I would sort of make up little rhymes around, you know, just sort of use the lala, you know, the, the fascinating name of the lala. Uh, but yeah, I always have a soft spot for uh, Lala Ward and I hate all the stories of the way that Tom Baker was treated on set around this time because he'd sort of she she'd rebuffed his advances so he was mm-hmm. mean to and even sort of this one scene where he like helps her down a ladder or something. Right. And he refused to do that. I mean, it just yeah. sounds like it was a jackass on set for this one.
1: Yeah. Again, I don't want to get too far into the, mm. the gossip of it. I, I can't say what was going on. Really? in Anyone's mind. I've certainly, they've made up now and um, are both, both sort of revered people in, in doctor who history. Yeah. Um, and I, I, but I, one interesting saying on the, um, on the DVD or the Blu-ray, which uh, I, I watched this on Blu-ray, is that they there's an, a, a bonus feature of them coming out. I guess it's like the courthouse or something when they just got married. I don't know. Oh, I thought wow. like, oh, that's on film. Wow. So, so it was like, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's uh, sweet. Yeah. But yeah, I, you could definitely feel a bit of the tension on this because there's like mm. the, the play between them in some scenes is... Is is it's not there when it could have been, but I mean, to their credit, I don't think it's that obvious. Like they are just professionals doing their job, so that's good. But and and I did hear from the commentary. So Peter Moffat, who directed this episode, did what i called the commentary on the the Blu-ray, and he noted mm-hmm. that you're you're right. There's the scene that they did where they comes down the ladder. He doesn't help her at all. And then in the next scene, when they go down to the cave, he does help her. Because they had apparently made up the night before,
0: Aww. so
1: they, you know, basically, and, and apparently it was at Tom's suggestion. Because Tom Baker, by this point, certainly and and as an actor, was always improvising, doing his yeah. own thing, making his suggestions, and a lot of the times the directors had to go with it. So Tom actually went to to Peter Moffat and said, "Wouldn't it be nice if I?" If I help her out this time, you know, <laughs> Like even though he refused to do it the day before. Um, yeah, and it was like, yeah. oh, okay,
0: that's great. Yeah. Moffat seems to have had a, no relation so far as I understand. Uh, it seems to have had a contentious right. relationship with Tom Baker and, and Baker actually wanted to direct this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is interesting coming from our last Tom Baker episode the deadly assassin in which he was like i don't need any companion i could just talk to myself and but you know that that was his uh, delusion of grandeur in 1976 and now 4 years later he has the delusion of grandeur that he can both star in and direct all of his uh, Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. Uh, but no, you know, lo- love you Tom Baker, always will. And uh, love you Lala Ward. I always had a soft spot for her. had a bit of a crush on her at the time. She reminded me of one of my teachers. Uh, but the reason that she's great as Romana and was great as Princess Astra, is she's she's actual aristocracy. She's the, the daughter mm. of Viscount Banger. Um, and she's the Honorable Lady Sarah Ward to give us uh, her first uh, full proper name and um she was also good friends with Douglas Adams one of my heroes and former doctor who script editor and nice uh days. yes indeed and uh Douglas Adams introduced her to Richard Dawkins who became her oh, next wow. husband yeah so wow. it's wow yeah so it sort of ended up There's you know the, indeed by the way, Viscount
1: Banger might be the greatest <laughs> name we've ever actually uttered on this podcast, and that sounds just sounds like a Doctor Who character. It's it's a great
0: DJ name, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Playing nothing but Viscount Bangers all night. Um, you know, Lala Ward is fantastic, and I yeah. like to see the
1: evolution of the character Romana over Mary Tam and even during Lala Ward. Because at this point, this is a this is the end of Romana's run. There, the, there's only one more story with Lala Ward in it. And but you can tell from this episode that they are like, she is basically the doctor, right? I mean, she, she, they they are two time Lords on equal footing. Uh, Everything that uh, Mary Tam played in the early episodes where she's sort of naive and gets more into trouble uh, because, you know, that's kind of called for, for the companion, but also in the characters arc there, that's gone. Like even just by the way she dresses, like you look at her outfit in this one and it's, it's it's basically kind of a riding hunting outfit but yeah. done in, in, in a posh kind of way and that's so doctory because it's very practical it's very distinctive it's like it's costumey um she, i hadn't thought of
0: that it's, it's, it's like a prototype for a for a female doctor yeah,
1: yeah and you even look at her footwear and I, mm. I as i was watching the commentary sort of watching the second time around they were commenting on it but also like i noticed just how pragmatic like for, for walking around and going up. Uh, walking around forests and going up ladders and jumping off things i mean it's like oh yeah this is this is good i mean you you could be the doctor you could be jody whitaker if you or or you know an incarnation of the doctor if you were and so so while all that said and i appreciate it and i love the performance i also would understand hold on a second she's got to go at some point because i mean then mm-hmm. this just isn't the show and i don't know how long this is going to be interesting um <laughs> So, well, it
0: was a nice surprise that they use Romana in in a way in in this story in a way which they they I wish they'd used her more, which is to talk about Gallifreyan backstory, Gallifreyan history. Yeah, because she knows a lot of it. Um, apparently more than the Doctor. In, Definitely in, one in, of the strengths of this one. Yeah, and uh, she knows in this one that that all that the the record of Rassilon is embedded in all type 40 TARDISes, which might've been a useful thing to mention <laughs> perhaps in a previous adventure, but no, apparently the record of rastlon is only useful when fighting vampires because uh, Rassilon was a vampire hunter. Uh, apparently we learn in this story. And by the way, th- so this is a Terrence Dicks story. We haven't talked much mm, about Terrence right. Dicks on the show, but he is, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of Terrence Dick's stories. I'll, I'll just say that up front. I, I think that yeah. in, in many cases, he's a bit of a hack and kind of, uh, you know. Well, uh, he was so
1: prolific. He had to he's be a hack fitty. at some point. Certainly hacked he's... himself plenty of times.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he was, you know, going for a Hammer Horror pastiche in this one. Yeah. But I do love, so he he was involved in a lot of uh, Time Lord stuff, a lot of early Time Lord stuff. And I do love the fact that he um, he kind of gets Time Lords and he kind of nails them you know, he came up with the whole cruel and cowardly thing, right? Um, mm. You know, he was involved in war games. Like, you know, if anyone has earned the right to do Time Lord legends, it's him. And here he ca- he's kind of doing it on the back of an envelope. Is <laughs> sort of mm. how I think of it. Like, oh yeah, the uh, the Time Lord they fought vampires. Yes, we're, we're just sort of introducing this into the show <laughs> now. We've got this whole backstory, uh, and then he t- he talks about this this. Uh, a uh, Hermit in the Hills of South Gallifrey. Yeah, well, that's uh, like which is a back Pertwee, Pertwee reference. There. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know the original, so tell me about that one.
1: Well, Pertwee, what, uh, it's funny. It's like whenever the doctor's in prison somewhere, he has some story about Gallifrey. It feels <laughs> like, like that's just the thing. So this is way back. I think it's the time monster where he and Joe Grant are in uh, the prison in Atlantis, I think it is. Mm. And they just have some time to kill. And he talks about uh, this hermit, that he would go to on halfway up a mountain, I think it was, and so, and I think he mentions him again in Planet of Spiders because there's some Time Lord stuff there. I forget. I, I think the the guy in that that episode again, it's been so long. I think he actually ends up being that hermit, the the other Time Lord that huh. is is in in the episode. But um, so this this is the like they, I I think they. Haven't quite referenced it in New Who, but I think there's been sort of oblique references to mountains and hermits and rural Gallifrey, which we kind of see a little bit in the the Capaldi the stuff. Uh, the, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, back in uh, oh god, what was Hell it? Bent. Hell Bent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely like I, I remember thinking at the time um, because I'd seen the Pertwee stuff, thinking, oh, that's so cool. You know, these these references. Uh, I found it very sort of universe building and rewarding to fans who had been paying attention for a long time. Yeah, I thought yeah. the Gallifrey stuff in this one really worked for me. Like, yeah. even though it's kind of like, I think you're right, it starts with a with a back-of-the-envelope idea of, like, Time Lords fighting vampires. But it, it, it gets your imagination going. It's like, how would that work? And what would these mm. be like? And then the way he describes it in these grand terms where vampires could essentially suck the life out of whole planets and they were massive and that the Time Lords had to build huge ships like like and also like uh, yeah. the, the idea seems implied that even though the time lords sort of inherently or or at least default to non-interventionist they saw these creatures as so bad and so anti-life that they had to be utterly destroyed you know and they clearly make that decision again with the daleks and, um, and wrestlem yeah.
0: built huge bow ships which delivered right. like giant steel bows in space yeah. to drive us literally drive a stake through the heart of these giant vampires and their giant spaceships. Which sounds nuts, but it's like makes some kind of sense. Yeah. On on sci-fi
1: fantasy vampire levels. You're like, Okay, I'm gonna go with this. Like it's this this sounds too cool not to go with it. Honestly.
0: I love it. And I, I also think that, that CGI is finally at the point where we could see some of this. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'd love
1: to see The Great Vampire War. Right. Man, thinking of uh, spinoffs. Let's well, do it. Th- yeah, big finish. Well, actually, we need we need visuals. Sorry, big finish. Go ahead and do it, but let's also do it in the series.
0: I think it actually belongs in the show because, yeah. and, and RTD, once again, I feel like we need to do a new segment called RTD, Are You Listening? Um, <laughs> when you return to the show, we, we have kind of a, a laundry list of requests. Um, and I'm going to add this to the list, which is, let's see... This great Time Lord vampire war. Let's let's see those huge bow ships with their giant stakes hurling through space. Because I'm sure we could we could do it now. Because also, it sort of has interesting implications for the whole timeless child storyline, mm. right? I mean, maybe the Doctor could have been involved in a in a previous set of regenerations, right? Um, you know, in that maybe Joe Grant was involved. Uh, sorry, uh, Joe Doctor Joe uh, was involved. Uh, the doctor was might, Bruce. might have
1: might have been the one the, the greatest bow ship captain in <laughs> yeah. all the Gallifreyan fleets.
0: Wouldn't that be perfect? <laughs> I love that idea. Um, so yeah, so I like that he sort of plays around with this, and uh, I love the the TARDIS scenes. I'm just going to s- yeah? say everything that I love before I get to my problems with. What, what, uh, wait a minute. What did, what did you think of the punch cards? I, I love the punch cut. So first of all, so we, the doctor goes back to the TARDIS, which is, right. I love automatically love any story where the doctor actually remembers to go back to the TARDIS. Um, <laughs> it does take Romana to tell him that the, the secret is locked up in the TARDIS, you know, the secret to defeating the vampire uh, is, is sort of embedded in all type 40 TARDISes randomly or not so randomly. If we, you know, explore mm-hmm. the whole timeless child thing. Um, and, uh, and then he actually goes back to the TARDIS. And first of all, he uses Canine as kind of right. TARDIS Google, which <laughs> <laughs> literally plugs him into the yeah. data banks. Yeah. And and Canine cannot find a single reference to the record of Rassilon anywhere in the TARDIS data banks, which... I don't think canine's searching hard enough. I think well, maybe...
1: not even vampires, like not in the real world, right? He has a yeah. folklore section, but that's it. There's no other vampire references.
0: Just but I think at this point the, the doctor is, is actually searching for Raslon, the record of Raslon right. And then it turns out yeah. to have not been in the data bank at all. It's actually right. air gapped and it's <laughs> it's it's old school. It's on a punch card. And the doctor feeds in the punch card and he gets out what can only be described as a CVS receipt.
1: (laughs) I had the exact same thought.
0: (laughs) It just kind of spills out. Like you're like, what the hell is it like special offers on this thing? And he's reading it off this, like what looks like a giant piece of ticker tape almost. Right. But it's more, more receipt like, and I just love the idea that the TARDIS went through an iteration where it just like it, it, it had a printer the Just Prince receipts. Well, uh, <laughs> That's how let the see, see an episode where he urgently
1: has to get records this way, and he's out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> Why does go, it say paper jam when there is no paper jam? He has to go to a staple somewhere, and like,
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> Call the Kerblam Man, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. At the end of the la- final line, of the episode could be, well, that was easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just fantastic. I also love that he does a dramatic reading to Canine right. from the record of Rassilon on the receipt, which kind of goes with what we learned in The Deadly Assassin, which is that all Time Lord records are audio books. Yeah. Right. So it's just sort of, I guess it's in Gallifreyan culture that you just sort of declaim history like that, even yeah. if the only person listening is a robot dog. You know, you know, uh, as silly
1: as the whole punch card receipt thing is, what what I like it's it's really so anachronistic and weird looking back now because I think it's then no it's no sillier
0: of, than a biscuit dispenser. Come on.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. It's like first of all, like the the the, the anachronisms in the TARDIS. It's like a thing, and I think hmm. it's if you need an explanation, I think it's kind of there in the Deadly Assassin when they talk about that technology is not the thing they worship anymore, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's a means to an end, and it's like. Uh, whatever you use it kind of doesn't matter so it's steampunk but, yeah exactly so but also i th- what i did really love about this is the idea that this is like pseudo forbidden knowledge not entirely mm. forbidden like that like it's clearly like written down somewhere but it's not like the, the time lords have deliberately introduced friction to finding out this stuff so that it's, it's just inconvenient enough that not everyone <laughs> knows it. It's not common knowledge, which I think is an interesting comment. Like, it's a little weird in today's information society where everything's available to everyone. But I, I do kind of like that, uh, mm. especially for a, like an eons old society that, you know, all kinds of things have happened to like this idea, this approach to information. I found um, I found I don't know somehow I, interestingly I like not just believable but also it raises the stakes of the episode believably and that's why it works
0: and it has aged well I think because we we know that if you want your data to survive you know all the digital uh, generations uh, it, it's you know might yeah. actually be better to have it on physical media and, and what's more physical than like this, the metallic punch cards that they yeah. use here totally like that's that's not gonna as long as you can still read the punch card and it should be fairly easy to rig up a reader like that's mm-hmm. that's data that's going to last for millennia yeah if yeah. it's metallic better also, than PDF. by the way they they use they also use the same punch cards as like a, a door card in the castle slash spaceship oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, they have this moment of like the you know the medieval villager kind of puts the punch card in the wrong way around <laughs> yeah. like, cuz it's like a door, you know we're all used to it now with hotel uh, doors right you right. stick the key card in but like at the time that would have seemed super high-tech and uh
1: well and it's also kind of believable that if you're the villager who doesn't their only familiarity is the walkie-talkie i think at that point <laughs> that, that <laughs> why would they know it's the right way or the wrong way it's just it, you wouldn't know
0: yeah they they have a walkie-talkie they have a whole uh old crt monitor right uh which which the doctor uh says oh in the 20th century you, you used to punch these things on the side to get them to work which is just uh <laughs> such a fond memory of doing that to to tvs when they went went on the blink
1: oh yes Uh, plenty of times you can't really don't you don't really have a side anymore to do
0: that (laughs) so (laughs) yeah you kids these days with your razor thin plasma screens uh yeah not even plasma screens anymore whatever you're on to now
1: well definitely it's funny in the 80s it became a running gag that the doctor had to do that to the TARDIS console every now and then to get it going. <laughs> I didn't use. They didn't. Oh, I don't think they overused it, but I do remember Peter Davison a few times was just all right. Oh, <laughs> all I got to do so, is hit it, and the
0: time rotor will go up. So I love the use of technology in this episode. It is, uh, and it's sort of proof that, like you know, Terrence Dix likes to boast that the director uh, Peter Moffat uh, loved his original script so much that he demanded the original mm. Terence st- skip- script uh, uh Terrence Dick's script rather than the one that had been altered by Christopher Bidmead and mm. f- famously and Bidmead had a bit of a, a rivalry going on they didn't work well together uh and Bidmead Terrence. had all these sciency changes yeah making it hard Dick sci-fi
1: describes it as uh, creative tension now uh, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> but I honestly think that tension uh, the result is quite good in this case in that it is. I feel like the balance here between Dick's and Bidmead was one of like pragmatic storytelling versus let's explore some interesting ideas. And we could definitely do one too much, one or the other, because, you know, as you sort of uh, described, you could be a hack if you're way yeah. too pragmatic and you're just cranking out scripts. But you could also like, if you're indulging the ideas too much and you're not moving things along... Uh, that's bad too. So, but I think I think this is a good good mix of that. Uh, particularly like the vampire stuff, as well as even things like the language stuff, like where they're like, oh, uh, Camilla become or Macmillan becomes Camilla, like that sort of thing, mm. which was kind of an interesting idea. I like I like how Doctor Who sort of touches on these things and gives you just enough to to tickle your imagination, and then okay, now we're on to the next thing.
0: Uh, yeah, and, and Dick's originally, in his original version of the script, which was was for the, the Key to Time season, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. It, or, like, originally, Maybe. the script had Leela in it, didn't have K-9, so, like, it, right. was, it was old school. Oh, no, Horror Fang much... Rock,
1: sorry. It was... It was, it was, it
0: was yes. Horror Fang Rock was the replacement script for this
1: script, which was supposed to be for that season. That's right.
0: Because uh, the BBC was doing a, a version of Dracula and didn't want <laughs> this... To to coincide with it, make them make them think they were making fun of of the Dracula. I just I, I just shake my head at this. It's like such a bizarre choice,
1: given hell. Like, and again, it's easy to look back forty years. I get it and judge, but it's also like, what are you talking about? Like, the you know, more vampire hype, the better, guys. Like that. Have you, you heard of marketing. Like, have you heard of? <laughs> and they didn't. Honestly, they honestly hadn't heard of marketing in the, in the way we think of it today. Back then, right? In they the not.
0: They had not heard the word synergy
1: yeah well Uh, it it, it just seems so weird because today like when a cultural trend happens it's everywhere right like vampires were everywhere for a while zombies were everywhere for a while superhero movies today they're everywhere and Mm. everything's feeding off each other and creating like more interest in the whole phenomenon so it's just you know you you look at this decision like oh we can't we can't have vampires on tv if we're having them on this other channel we can't do
0: it like it's like Now it'd be like you know, got vampires plus vampires in space, (laughs) Um, and so. But this is to to go back to that thought. Bidme kind of introduces the sci-fi elements, right? Mm. Dix wanted wants to do a basic, super basic, and I'm using that in its 21st century uh, meaning, Mm. uh, as in your basic Terrence Dix, and he wants to do (laughs) just a Hammer House of Horror pastiche of vampires. Uh, with no sci-fi element, Bidmead is the one who comes along. And is like, no, let's make it a a crash spaceship. Which, by the way, how many how many crash crash spaceships, uh, you know, that become medieval civilizations are there in Doctor Who? Because we we just had this <laughs> with the mysterious planet. We had it with the Crotons. And it's such a trope.
1: Yeah, that,
0: who I'd love one day to sit down and figure out how many of these are there. Well they where... kinda
1: they kind of even had it two episodes previous, because like or no, sorry, the episode previous with Full Circle, which was also a crash spaceship.
0: Oh, I didn't and, I didn't remember that.
1: Um it's 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 a little more weird there because it's like there's the people in the spaceship ended up being the people who evolved from the native stuff. But it's like, yeah, the crash spaceship that influences either Earth or some civilization is a big one. Now, if you think about this one too, it seems to me this is a crash spaceship that crashed like perfectly vertically and like wait a minute that doesn't seem like a, it seems more like a
0: landing to me what happened here not a crash per se it, it crashed uh, in the way that spacex rocket rockets crash when they come back down I mean, to earth which is <laughs> just landed on it's exactly how it's supposed to land come on people yeah but i gotta say like it looks good i mean i
1: know it's a model and you know it's dated mm. a bit in terms of effects but like the mood it's setting with that big yes. dark tower with the village and the, the way they lit it, it's like that tells a story right there. Like that, that visual. Um, I, I oh, love the,
0: love the model of the castle slash slash spaceship, which I actually didn't recognize as a spaceship when we first see the model. Mm. Uh, but but I'm you know the more I think about this, the more I think about it being a Doctor Who trope. The more I'm like. Shouldn't the doctor just sort of default to expecting that he's going to land on a planet and find a crash Earth spaceship somewhere, or a crash <laughs> spaceship from, or you know, a crashed alien spaceship on Earth? Or you know, it, it just we've seen it so often. It should just be like it, at least in his top three explanations. Yeah,
1: I kind of oh. almost want to see more often. We we just came from Robot of Sherwood, where he expects Robin to be the robot and then isn't. Mm. and that that sort of moment of realization i kind of want to see more moments like that where he's expecting the trope and it's not the trope and so you know it's like the scooby-doo end and and this is a mask and it's oh it's totally not a mask and i'm completely wrong and oh sorry never mind i'm just going to back into this bush
0: <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the uh of robert o. sherwood i think this is a great time to to talk about why the randomizer brought us here i think you know because it does have the connection of spaceship that's actually a castle Uh, the, the arrow that has to be fired at the end versus the steel bolt that has to be fired at the end. Mm. This is kind of using the spaceship itself as an arrow. Um, but, uh, also dealing with myth and legend, dealing with vampires, right. Rather than dealing with the, the myth and legend of, uh, of Robin Hood. And we're told that vampires arose sort of, you know, every, every civilized planet has a vampire legend, Mm -hmm. which is interesting and i you know not very familiar with vampires not a huge fan of vampires so i was like oh wow so it's like you know the original Count dracula was sort of the the first time this has been on earth well no of course uh, as anyone who knows anything about vampires will tell you it has a much much longer history into the folklore of earth and there was actually a vampire really? do tell, yes <laughs> oh i have i can't do a full robot of sherwood style presentation on this one unfortunately but <laughs> you didn't prep uh, attack okay but I did find it so it's interesting. One of the one of the three who rule is is called Camilla, and there was a vampire story in the early nineteenth century called Carmilla. Mm, uh, okay. So that may be a reference there. But yeah, they go back to like medieval folklore, so it's appropriate that we're in medieval times. Uh, but again, the the fact that the three who rule turn out to be the original spaceship uh, crew right. did not surprise me. Yeah. Called and again, it was like yeah it was like why does why that come as a surprise to romana like she seems to be the smart one about vampires here so surely she should have guessed it
1: well it's also weird uh, when they're going through the photos of the three who rule in the old records mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. all wearing like medieval helmets <laughs> yeah i found to be like what like why why are there space <laughs> records showing them as like medieval so like that was a weird choice i i feel uh I don't know. Someone someone once said I read somewhere that the helmets look like I guess the helmets that the people wear in the space pirates. So I'm uh, going to go with maybe it's a a stylistic choice, uh, yeah. but it's it's just strange in the context here. So I don't I'm going to
0: I'm going to go with the the spaceship was having a uh, medieval cosplay party <laughs> when it when it crashed, <laughs> and they just got a, sort of got stuck in their roles. Have you ever read, by the way, uh, the uh, uh, it's sort of a classic sci-fi book called *Lord of Light*. Well, I have not Tell me it's, about it. It's uh, by Roger Zelazny, I believe, and but it's about it's kind of the same idea that a spaceship arrived. Uh, yeah, Roger Zelazny. A spaceship uh, arrived on a planet many centuries ago, and the the rulers are now are the original spaceship uh, officers. Uh, yeah. But they have now become Hindu gods, Ooh. and and one of them has become uh, Siddhartha, basically the the Buddha character, and the whole the 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 stories are sort of disjointed and it sort of kind of suggested that, that time is going in a loop now. Uh, really, really great book. Highly recommend that you read it. I, I wonder nice. if this isn't influenced. Uh, I I know Bidmead would have read it, so I wonder if this yeah. isn't influenced a little bit by that idea. But it's sort of like Lord of Light, but uh, but but medieval. Yeah. Uh they they just sort of decide to become medieval kings who rule forever. Uh wow. which is interesting. Are they particularly um,
1: evil or cruel like the people in this story?
0: Yes. Yes, mm. they are. They are like cruel remote Hindu gods. And uh and then you know Siddhartha the also a member of the original crew is is the one who kind of uh, uh rebels against them. What I, I, and I'm going to indulge
1: myself for a few seconds Mm -hmm. here on, like, uh, having watched more sort of modern vampire stories uh, along the lines of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and True Blood, and Mm -hmm. that as a theme of living forever is obviously a big deal, Um, like uh, the central part, I think, in a lot of these sort of vampire, the the appeal of a vampire uh, existence, and this idea that... Evil goes hand in hand with vampirism. I think there's a simplistic take on it, which I think is sort of evident here that there's an evil creature and an evil force that is inherent to this. But I kind of like the idea of exploring the idea: if you live forever, like how much does that distance yourself from life itself and the stakes Mm. of life, and therefore you, you kind of inevitably become what we would consider evil because you're just so you just become amoral and and the decisions you make just don't have any. A consideration for life in them and i, I think that yeah. better vampire literature explores that idea and i would say i argue true blood when it was good was was more about that
0: uh and even i, I haven't seen it that's like literally the first thing i've heard about true blood that makes me want to watch it
1: yeah and i, I wouldn't i don't want to give you the impression it's super philosophical but there are there are moments of like what would it be like if you really did live for a thousand plus years and what would your whole attitude be and it's not as like simple as like that makes you evil because there's actually people who are the reverse who become extremely wise um so yeah there's that that idea that there's nothing inherently evil about vampires
0: um but it's just their longevity
1: yeah well and think about this extend that
0: to the time Lords. I was gonna say, right? this is a missed opportunity. Yeah. State of decay is a super missed opportunity to explore the ways in which Time Lords are vampires.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like they're not they're more alike than unlike in terms of uh various things. Like they both obviously live a very long time or for or, or are mortal in their own ways, but they can they also seem to have some need to rule or control in their own uh, you know, obviously much, much different. And I think most of us would prefer the Time Lord way, which is mm fine but again a lot of downsides a lot of downsides so
0: yeah and we were just a deadly assassin where we saw mm-hmm. how sclerotic time lord society had become because it was so ancient and you know the it's all full of all these old crusty white men saying you know oh i oh chancellor only ruling for 100 years uh you know in my day they would <laughs> last for 500 years so I love that idea. Missed Opportunity. Missed Opportunity also, I guess, in Curse of Fenric and Vampires of Venice, the other Doctor Who yeah. stories to feature vampires, they don't draw the connection there either, right?
1: Yeah, they, they, they struggle. I mean, um, it's been a long time since seeing seen Curse of Fenric, and it suffers from kind of trying to do too much, as I recall. But uh, I would say Vampires of Venice is the opposite, where it kind of tries to do too little, and it's just kind of a fun, goofy vampire story to have with the new TARDIS crew um, and, with Amy and, and you Rory. Who
0: does love to explore this this remote god aspect of the doctor and the time lords Mm -hmm. so uh again i'm going to add this to our are you listening rtd segment uh if you do go back and try and show us the the great time lord vampire war uh that would be an excellent excellent way to sort of get really dig into the meat of the ways that time lords like vampires so there we go another three free idea that we're throwing out for, for RTD's return. So speaking Uh of
1: evil rulers, I I want to get back to um, the, the, the actors here, especially the person who plays Aukon, um, which is um, Emrys, Emrys. I I don't know if Emrys James, I'm not sure.
0: But I think he was amazing.
1: Like I thought he gave a fantastic performance. Like he's just super, Uh, Like you you don't disbelieve he is very sincere in his desire for power and wanting to be evil and cruel. And what it really won me over was kind of a a moment where he almost acknowledges weakness. And it's when um, the other two, Zargo and Camilla, are trying to say we should kill the doctor. Uh, And it's interesting, Mm. like right away, they didn't kill him immediately when they realize he knows too much. And I think it's because I think the obvious reason is Aukon's, Aukon's in charge. And they're not going to, you know, they're going to check with him. Should we kill this guy? He says no. Um, and wh- the way, the reason he doesn't want to kill them or Adric is because he realizes they've actually made mistakes. Like he said, we've kept these peasants ignorant and servile. Mm. But you know what that's done? It's actually bred out the very qualities we need in good vampires. And yes. I, I like that It's kind of like, one, villains acknowledging their mistakes. But two, it's a very believable mistake. Because this yeah. happens all the time in business, you focus on the short-term problem, when you suddenly realize years later you have created a massive long-term problem by by serving that that short-term goal. So that really, really resonated with me.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean it's sort of a problem with dictatorships in general, right? You get brain drains, yeah. um, and you know if your your whole goal is to make the population docile and servile, then you don't have what you need to make your make your country great. More mm. great again uh as, as certain uh movements would have it uh yeah it's 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 kind of an issue and we see it we see it in the modern world um well i'm glad you liked uh emiris james's performance <laughs> uh, he was a very welsh shakespearean actor uh nothing wrong with that <laughs> nothing wrong with welsh we like a bit of welsh in doctor who boyo uh boyo <laughs> and um <laughs> Okay, that's the end of my bad Welsh accent. But <laughs> I, I we actually had to have, we had to have the, the uh, Green Death reference in there. <laughs> oh yes, I shudder to think what would happen with the giant green maggots. Um, yes, I I'm glad that you liked it. My <laughs> you didn't the like first it? the the first note that I wrote <laughs> while I was watching this was, judging by these performances, vampires feed on scenery. <laughs> but that's good. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean definitely hammer horror pastiche, right? Yeah, but, but almost beyond that. Like this this is very sort of British stage tradition. Yes. It's very sort of you know, and they do this for viewers not on uh listeners not on YouTube. I'm I'm holding my hands up in what would later become the Michael Jackson thriller configuration. Uh which yeah. they <laughs> actually literally do like you can't do that anymore. In, in and be taken seriously in in drama, right? But they actually do it at the uh, the climax of season of uh, episode three. Where it gets super scary, and they're advancing on Romana. They're sort of actually doing that.
1: Ah, you know, See, I don't know that worked for me. I, I agree. <laughs> you kind of
0: have to take yourself back, not
1: just um, in terms of Doctor Who, but in terms of culture, when maybe that wasn't quite so uh, so over so common and so expected that it's it's just mm-hmm. dumb. Um, but I thought, uh, yes, I mean, it's obviously limited by uh, the budget and the, the TV at the time, and you couldn't do, like, elaborate action, even on the scale of Buffy. Um, but there was that bit, I, I think, uh, where Adric, like, throws the knife, hmm. and it's not even really a throw. I think there's no actual knife being thrown, but, I mean, the cut is so good that you get it, and I thought there there was there was a moment there of, like, one, real peril, but two... Like, I like, again, this is why I kind of liked Adric in this. He's he's fighting back, and it was surprising. You're like, holy crap, Adric just grabbed a knife and threw it at him. Like, characters don't usually yeah. do that Doctor Who. <laughs> like, and then the bit where he pulls it out of him, like, you almost don't see it. It's actually, the, the shot isn't that good. But he pulls it out of his own chest, even though it's like, you know, obviously he's pulling it out probably from his armpit. But um, it, the look on the guy's face there where he's like, delighting in his immortality and that he's about to slaughter someone i thought you know it worked really well so the episode 3 cliffhanger
0: yeah.
1: is makes up for the other two cliffhangers which aren't so a- good
0: apparently so a lot of scenes were removed because they were thought to be too violent hmm. and too bad for kids the, the 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 episode 2 cliffhanger you're right maybe maybe one of the worst in the show hmm. uh, because what what does uh, what does he say? What does Orcon say? It's like it's welcome to my my domain, my domain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you sort of zoom in on his eyes, like okay. That's <laughs> and, and and I, I love a sort of subverted at the beginning of the next episode where Tom Baker's like, oh well, well thank you. Well, we we just you know, oh, sorry sorry we couldn't get here earlier. Like you know, is the tea on? Oh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but I've it's a very say, Baker
1: Baker is so good at that, and he's yeah. just that so much in this episode where he's he's so the sort of fish out of water but unashamedly and just like the sunny oh well that's fine Oh, this is great hey everyone yes. you know like from from the first scene he's constantly like so yeah setting the mood it's great that
0: episode two cliffhanger was supposed to be we zoom in on the blood in the full fuel tanks
1: right yeah uh
0: and then yeah, and then in uh, part three, the cliffhanger—they were supposed to be in a full vampire state, red-eyed, long-fanned, and hungry, according to the script—and that was thought too horrific. Uh, right. They almost—they almost cut the vampires wasting away at the end. Uh, right, which seems, which is, yeah, uh, honestly, like that seems pretty tame.
1: That the only moment of true horror for me is when they come to the chamber and see essentially the desiccated bodies in the in the storage bay and it's you know there's nothing gory but it's very clear what's happening which is they're kind of being kept suspended and their blood Mm. is being drained slowly and that just the idea of that is so gruesome uh it's it's just like ooh like wow that's yeah you're 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 in you're in a morgue but worse
0: (laughs) i I like that because it subverts another common doctor who trope which is like oh look at all the colonists you right. know, and and we just had that with Smile, right? Another reason yeah. for the randomizer to bring us here. Uh, look at all the columnists, and uh, oh no, they're all actually husks, yeah. of teenagers.
1: Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, yeah, they were all the stronger, the well, some of the strong kids from the village, I guess. Yeah, which yeah. is
0: super horrific, and they really should have played that up a bit. But uh, did did you watch this one with your kids? Did they find any of it scary? I did.
1: My uh, Jack watched it with me. He had a good time. Mm-hmm. He was into. Uh, watching it all the way through, um, he 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 catches more of the uh, bad production values and choreography of the old series as you might expect. Mm. And he he didn't like the episode three cliffhanger as much as I did because there is the point where they kill the guard and the guy dies nice. for no conceivable reason because <laughs> he's only lifted up and thrown about two feet and mm. he's never really wounded. Yet somehow that that short throw dies, and I kind of thought, well, did he strangle him, or was he the, the vampire's hand in his chest? Not really. No. Yeah, yeah. he just grabs it.
0: Stage fighting is truly awful in this one. It's really yeah. just badly shot.
1: But uh, generally, he liked it. Yeah, he was he mm-hmm. he liked it all the way through, and he liked the uh legend stuff. So, um, yeah, mostly a good review.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't want to leave the impression that that I hated this, uh, but I I will say. That my my vote for MVP in State of Decay is Paddy Kingsland, okay. uh, who did who was with the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, and this is classic era Radiophonic Workshop. Um, and Paddy Kingsland, especially, I love. I love his. Uh, you you may differ on this, but I love his sort of uh, synth wind instruments. Mm-hmm. And uh, if this if this reminded you at all of the music in Legopolis, um that is that is no accident so mm-hmm. paddy kingsland specifically did the music for from this season uh meglos full circle state of decay and logopolis and he also does castro the visitation and mordred undead which is the the only other uh paddy kingsland scored episode that we've, we've been to and then frontios and those are the only ones that he's done and paddy kingsland is kind of a legend right he did a version of the theme tune mm-hmm. in 1972 uh, which they then sort of replaced with the original. Uh, I believe he was the one responsible for the 80s version, which is, you know, super, you know, disco-inspired Doctor it's, Who theme. It's very 80s. It's very 80s. Starfield. Pew! Um, But he also did the incidental music for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and mm. the the original uh, two yep. seasons on the radio. And it just all has this wonderful feel. It's, it's sort of... I. I like to think of it as funereal almost, like mm. synth, synth and funereal in very early 80s and uh, like moody, but also kind of a little bit optimistic and hopeful. I always think I will never be able to get out of my head his his Legopolis music, especially yeah. the way that it spends the whole of Legopolis being like somber and dark and like something is ending. Until right at the end, that wonderful incidental music that is so Paddy Kingsland resolves with the arrival of Peter Davis into the Doctor Who theme, and it's just oh, it's a it's a goosebumps on the skin moment. Oh, totally for Doctor Who music.
1: Yeah, I I can't. I got to say, I love the I love the music too. It's great. It takes me back to those stories. I think it really makes those stories. I think my lens now is just a little different, and it's hard Mm. now to. Um uh get i think the music sometimes gets in the way of getting into the moment because I'm, I'm kind of appreciating the music it's kind of one of those philosophies right mm-hmm. of what's a good score it, it, is a score a good score if you don't even notice the score and it does its job mm-hmm. by just sort of amping up or amping down like basically setting the mood and if your view is that then you don't like this right because you you're constantly aware of the score while you're watching uh, and, and I think more so today because we're not really used to um, this kind of sort of synth 80s music. but I agree with everything you said like it's, it's it's technically awesome and it very much tells the story and when it really sings and really aligns with that, uh, I think it really works. and I think in this story it more works than doesn't even with that lens uh, because you can definitely hear the beats that like it's it's being played in sort of more of a goth opera kind of way right like you're very Mm. like you know that it's darker it's more ominous lots of minor chords yeah yeah and there's um even when uh, i think it's very effective when they're at night in the forest a couple times um where it's it's you think something's going to happen,
0: unfortunately, nothing ever really does. Like the bats sort of come, and then they don't do anything. And... Yeah, that is what my vote for one of the worst cliffhangers in the history of Doctor Who. Is the end of episode one and stage of decay, where it's like, oh, it's bats on film. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, look, uh... Look, there's stock footage of bats, yeah. <laughs> and then the the beginning of of episode two is like, oh, well, they went away. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And the, oh my god! it just stood for another quick second, the bats on on strings. Yes, so bad. So I, I, bad. It's
0: just like guys, come on, really? You couldn't. Have... And then there's there's one bat that lands on Romana. Yeah, uh, when she's being prepared for sacrifice. Yeah, they bought that at the dollar
1: store or something. It was like so, <laughs> oh boy, I couldn't even afford a oh, good like museum gift shop bat. <laughs> like...
0: <laughs> yeah, just don't even try. I mean. That's the lesson that they should have taken from uh,
1: <coughs> Green Death, right? Or just make it way darker, you know, <laughs> so we can't even <laughs> really see what the bats are doing. Uh, mm. I mean, it, I kinda, it, in terms of bats versus rats, which is like, the, <laughs> which is worse, hard to know. Referring to the Talons, of course.
0: <coughs> Indeed. I mean, the mm. randomizer does seem to love bad, not just bad robots, but bad animals. <laughs> <clears throat> Because we had that in uh, Green Death as well, right? The the maggots that turn into the oh, flies. Yeah. The one, yeah. That one fly that is just such a bad model. So, yeah, I feel like the, the randomized kind of taking us on a cook's tour of uh, bad, bad monsters and bad uh, robots. That's a good
1: segue to the very end of this one, where mm. there's sort of the infamous special effect of the great uh, vampire breaking out. Um, yeah. Which I remember at the time I didn't think was that bad. Because uh, it is just a hand that comes out. And apparently Peter Moffat didn't even know quite what they were doing. And I, this is a good case for being more actively involved with your hmm. special effects folks. Because yep. being very specific about you want. Because they basically assured him, oh, it's going to look really creepy and scary. It's going to be great. And it, 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 what they came up with is basically just a hand breaking out. Uh, and it's like, huh.
0: Okay. And that's that's good, is it? Uh, I, I wouldn't have minded that, to be honest. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's sort of the the, the, the cut scene of, of it, aspect of it is kind of hilarious. Uh, what I didn't like is, like, you see the giant vampire on the scanner at one point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's so bad. We could have done without that. Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's also like... Yeah, th-
1: like that's a point where it should be understood. And I don't know what they were thinking because mm. they go like he turns on some X-ray. I don't know whatever it is. He can't see it, and then he turns it on, and then it's just this weird moving <coughs> uh, bat. Like it's this mm. bat creature, and it's like what? That's that doesn't even look like a scan. That just looks like you took some footage like that looks like a joke you know like someone's putting you on like like they should have made like it should have just been some humanoid ish blur under the I thought that's what they were going with it under yeah. under the tower, and it's like so you don't really can't tell what it is, but because of all the storytelling that's already happened to this point, you know it's the great vampire, and you're just just give the idea of some scale here. You don't have to actually put a bat there, which doesn't even make sense. Like how is that a vampire? It's just a bat.
0: <laughs> we we are definitely set up for greatness with the the great the great one, uh, oh. right? And I was sort of uh watching this through a 21st century lens you're sort of like because because i remembered so little of this i was like "Ooh, i wonder who they get to play the the great one i wonder who this It's <laughs> kind of you know these days it would be a celebrity actor right right For, that, that's the yeah. only way you can build up that reveal to that moment where it's like oh it's you know ian mckellen
1: mm. or
0: whatever um but yeah, it doesn't work here. We don't need to see the man in the rubber suit who's superimposed on the, the hill beneath the castle. Um,
1: yeah, I was... think the hand itself isn't the worst thing because, yeah. you know, obviously he needs to die right away for it to, to to work. So it would be a bit of a letdown to have this big creature force come out and then suddenly it's, it's, it's dead, although they've done that uh, in other times. But... I think it's less about the hand and, and more about that shot where it, it, it's it's done on film and also in sort of a, a green screen with the three of them. And when you see it with the, with the green screen, with the vampires looking at it, it just looks so bad. Like you're kind of like, yeah, yeah you, you probably should have just taken
0: that shot out, gone with the hand coming out and yeah. that's fine. It's, it's not quite as bad as the spaceship suddenly uh, turning around once it which yeah. is space and falling right back down. Yeah. Uh which by the way Romana apparently not familiar with uh uh laws of gravity. Um <laughs> the doctors like don't don't worry what goes up must come down and and then they're like, "Oh, okay. You know, I guess that's well Romana's smarter than the doctor, remember? In a lot of ways. I think that she would have uh Well, she knows all she- about the astronomer royal. So Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and she knows all about, what was it, socio, it's not socioeconomic kind of, uh, you know, it's a uh, socio hmm. and, and socio genetics. Law award, you had me at
1: blood group separator. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't have to impress me with your big time Lord brain. Yeah, uh, yeah they have gone down to level 2 developments in uh socio genetics um yeah anyway so so you know there, there's there are a lot of
1: misses the here. actual stabbing of the great vampire actually looks okay like mm-hmm. but the flip in space is bad because all that i, I don't know why they decided to make eSpace space green i think that's bizarre it's so bizarre you actually I remember you said it in tldw yeah eSpace space is just this green space and why is it green <laughs> i mean i get you're trying to show it's different but i mean that's like it's it's like Uh, you let your imagination run wild on the concept okay it's a pocket universe and space itself looks different great come up with some ideas and uh, it's almost like the punchline is yeah we threw all those out and all we could afford was just making it green so here you go
0: (laughs) (laughs) everything was sort of black and green in the in the 80s right in the early 80s and this because that was the old dos screen like green it text yeah, on, on a true. black screen kind of a matrix green. A yeah it's very matrixy you're right so yeah. I, I, maybe that's the green they were going for so i can kind of forgive them that yeah but green yeah, green equals alien i guess <laughs> i guess it's kind of good that they only were in e space for three stories right hmm. so it was it good yeah. about that time I think it's about that time we we have to deal with our regular segments uh first of all what if the evil plot had succeeded well, there's evil you, going you on have here an idea sometimes you, have you struggle to find the
1: <laughs> evil plot but the evil plot is very clear and apparent
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so yeah obviously if the evil plot succeeded the great vampire uh is it killed and emerges and proceeds to um be a badass and kill everybody so if the great vampire comes out you you have to think about uh who dies and who becomes a vampire those are like mm. the questions and i i think most people die i think his the interest the great vampire has in his world is minimal like it's essentially fuel for him to go and build the empire so i think everybody is not uh the doctor and adric and uh, romana dies and then of those offerings, who does he turn into a vampire? And I, I I would think he probably sticks with the script and is like, okay, Romana's the sacrifice, so this is one, my revenge, and also I need more fuel from a powerful being, so she dies. But yeah. uh, I think it's an open question on whether they t- turning uh, turning the Doctor and Adric into vampires, both of them, uh, if they see the same potential that Alcon did in Adric, who, again, at this point, we're not really sure if he's duplicitous or not. So that's not bad, but I think I, I like I like the idea of the vampire doctor a little too much to throw it away. Yeah. And if the doctor becomes a vampire, then he quickly becomes the leader. I think of that group like he pushes Ocon yeah. aside, and you could do some fun political stuff between him and Ocon. Um, and then they can not easily, but they they have a means to return to End Space with the TARDIS, and then suddenly the doctor is waging another time war, I think, against yes. the time lords.
0: I love this idea. Yeah. I love this idea. It, it, you know, it brings to mind the, 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 timeless children and the, uh, uh, cyber time lords. Yeah. Uh, which was an interesting exploration. Why not have vampire time lords? What would that look like? You know, we've already talked about the similarity. Um, and, uh, you know, if there, if there was this great rivalry between them, you know, what happened? What, what if that were the hybrid, to use the, uh, the Peter Cavaldi season arc, um, you know, where, where you know, the, the Time Lords are terrified of a Dalek Time Lord mm-hmm. hybrid, which we haven't really seen. Um, but a, a vampire Time Lord hybrid would be fascinating. And yeah, especially if it was the Doctor, would make great use of uh, Tom Baker's problems of being a little too pallid in these episodes. He would he would actually make a brilliant vampire. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah, I love the idea of Tom Baker as an undead Time Lord wandering time and space, killing other yeah. Time Lords. And uh, wow, well, wouldn't that? How be How can he
1: lose? I mean, yeah. I th- I feel like the inevitable sad ending to this is that the Time Lords are defeated. The vampires go on to sort of rule the cosmos and and enslaving worlds, and maybe they even get into their own war with the Daleks. Um, yeah, which would be interesting. So yeah, so there's clearly there's a, there's
0: a lot. the lot. Uh, the sp- the Clara Splinter has to be at work here, making sure that doesn't happen.
1: Yes. Uh, so where's Clara if she is yeah, somewhere that's, here? If, if, that's if our other regular features got the East mm-hmm. Base, which you got to assume <laughs> they did because it's more Doctor's timeline based than yep. than universe based. Um, where is she? And I I don't have a great one on this. Uh, but, but why don't you go if you have a theory?
0: I I don't really. Uh, but. I guess to, to make sure the great one doesn't uh, emerge she has to maybe maybe the the scout ship is pre-programmed to to flip around in space weirdly mm. uh, because I'm not sure if the doctor actually programmed that maneuver into it um she's somehow unsure uh, it's
1: it's got a little power left uh which I don't know how you do that especially if she's sort of part of the scenery if you know what I mean like she doesn't really yeah. know what's about to happen. So maybe
0: she's preventing that little rebellion from
1: being discovered. Yeah. That's kind of where I went because Mm. it's such a small civilization, really. Like it's one village on this planet. One of the sort of plot holes or or story holes that is there is like, why haven't they stamped out this rebellion already? How has it been allowed to Mm. keep going? Are, are the vampires really that incompetent uh, at security? And they might be, I mean, it's again, they don't have a lot to work with, but um, I, I like the idea of someone who is very actively either part of the rebellion or working to help them that's sort of throwing everyone off the scent uh, one way or another and I'm not quite sure how she'd do that other than, I don't know, maybe she's kind of like the Pied Piper of bats <laughs>
0: <laughs> She draws the bats away at the end of episode one that's why they disappear Yeah. Uh, maybe she also uh, programmed K-9 with, with everything he needs to for his you know, overpowered appearance in this and his, uh, by the way, it's such a great image when canines on the throne.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's such a great, isn't yeah. it? And, I, and this no. is,
0: this is a new canine that I guess they only did for the last few. The prop stories the prop that prop he was is. in the, the prop. Yeah. I think it's a is brand it, new Is one. it the first one to have a wagging tail? Cause that oh, really stood out to question. me. question. Yeah. Yeah. He was, He's a very he's a very good dog, and described as a good dog in this episode. And part of the de is the villagers realize that they were they were wrong to dismiss Canine.
1: Yeah, I think what I heard was like when when Lala Ward uh, was carrying Canine in the Leisure Hive, and and it gets broken, and it, <laughs> it, it, they always had to have some excuse why Canine doesn't do things because he, you know he was either a Deus Ex Machina or yeah. they, they physically couldn't do things with him. Um, but it was so heavy. Right. And I think, I don't know if this is lighter, but I know there was like a lot of difficulty just moving the prop around, even a good set, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, the mobility I think was the biggest thing for, for this one. And so it gets out of the darkness a little bit,
0: let alone a set with so many stairs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it is still, it's still a great one for K9. I'm, I'm sad that, that he had to leave with Romano uh, in, in the next story. Because uh, that that wagging tail is uh, is so cool, and this is actually the version of canine that uh, I don't know if you know this. I was involved in a a camp at Burning Man that built a human sized canine art car. Wow! Um, we got pics. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can send you pics of this. We we have pictures of it. it so was we'll share them on the Instagram. Disassembles later, but uh. but yeah, he. Um, we we also had a you know a john leeson's voice uh synthesizer and oh, nice. so uh yeah so it around burning man and the one thing i remember it saying is uh sensors detect an extraordinary amount of dubstep um <laughs> nice. which was fun and uh but yeah but it was actually based on this particular model of canine and i can't remember if we actually had the tail wag but it was uh i i do miss that old uh that old creature
1: yeah no fairly new in this one um john leeson always good although he almost didn't sound like himself in a couple of scenes Hmm. because i know in the previous season for some reason john leeson couldn't do um some of the voice work and they had i forget who it was uh, someone who had a slightly more shrill voice which didn't Hmm. quite uh come across that way and i i did come across as well and I, I it bordered on that a couple times in a couple scenes. It might have just been with sound editing, but uh, it's definitely definitely John Leeson. Uh, I checked.
0: <laughs> did you notice, by the way, uh, the maybe <laughs> the last entry in the why did the randomizer bring us here? We were we were complaining when we were on Smile that uh, the the old TARDIS console room never never had chairs because Bill has that line and smile about how you can't reach the console from the chairs, and it's a weird design. Right. Did you did you design this for Mr. Fantastic? Well, there is actually a chair in the Season 18 control <laughs> room. <laughs> just the one, never actually used. It's just sort of hanging out there. It's like the the one chair in the bachelor pad. Yeah, they come and they uh, go, <laughs>
1: along with the coat rack, which nicely has, the. it looks like it has Tom Baker's old coats on it. Yeah. So I like the idea that the burgundy one's just been there. And you just, you know, hey, whatever. I'm feeling feeling burgundy yeah. now. This is my thing.
0: And they they had cleaned up the control room from, from the last time, you know, that we saw it pre-season 18, where it was getting a bit dirty. Uh, but they still haven't quite cleaned the round things. <laughs> <laughs> <Still laughs> got to get the special Windex for the round things. Yeah, uh, yeah. You got Love it. The round things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Someone, someone's day off. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't have. Let's well, see. Romana. like This is the evolution of Romana. She doesn't clean roundels anymore no you know, maybe maybe no. Mary Tam did that but not not all award <laughs> uh, way
0: above that yeah hundred percent
1: alrighty sir that is the is state of decay, uh, yeah, was, state of decay. I I was I was into it by the way like I thought I, I, I rem- remembered it fondly and uh, wasn't wasn't let down even though I could see some of the weaknesses I thought it sort of came together.
0: I'm, I'm going to well, give it yeah, two yeah. different rankings of whenever the vampires and the villagers are not on screen and all of the other stuff, whenever it's the doctor and Romana and canine, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the other stuff and, and kind of eh. <laughs> leave yeah, some scenery so. intact, you guys. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to give it one Dalek plunger up.
1: Nice. Uh, okay.
0: Well, I, I didn't, I didn't give a Dalek rating,
1: well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a Dalek that it's a uh, pre-Time War Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's yeah, fair enough. It's got an eyeball. That's cool. Yeah, like to see him now and then. Um, all right, sir. It's time to find out where we're going next. So, we it's should...
0: time for us to step back into the TARDIS. Hmm. randomizer. Yeah, I feel like we we need to insert uh, the audio of like the the humming TARDIS background. Um. Keep giving when, me whenever we get to this. <laughs> It's got to be one of those YouTube videos where it's like 24 hours in the TARDIS. Why not the Dalek beat? Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> <Our> great
1: vampire <laughs> pulsating heartbeat. Well, yeah, exactly. Of Why
0: not the, the heart? I was going to mention that. The heartbeat from this episode that is supposed to, like they all sort of wince and hold their ears and it's like, what are you actually hearing? I could yeah. barely hear it the first time they mentioned that. Um, but yes, okay. So we're inside right. the TARDIS. We have our randomizer. Which, as and, all Pulted Open
1: fans know, consists of yes. two parts. The Codex, the pull-to-open Codex, available in the show notes if you want to link to it, uh, which is a spreadsheet of all of the Doctor Who stories from the TV run, all 299 of them. Yes, uh, from
0: an earthly child to Eve of the Daleks.
1: And I'm actually just looking at this. There's like big gaps, obviously, in where we've gone. But I think the biggest gap until now was in <laughs> State of Decay is right in the middle of it. Anyway, sorry, a little mm. just spreadsheet
0: well, do, we, uh, uh, do, we have any, do we have any challenges for the randomizer while you're looking at the spreadsheet?
1: I, I've always got challenges for the randomizer, mm. <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm rapidly getting to a point where uh, I might have run out of new ones. Oh, I got one. Okay, so this is a suicidal one, and because the randomizer ignores us, yes. I feel confident doing it. Take us to something super long. give us a seven parter a 12 parter a 10 parter give us war games something to dig in yes war games dalek master plan which would be like a terribly difficult one to do for a number of reasons but
0: we'll do it yeah Yeah. give us give us uh i was gonna give it a different challenge but now i'm like give us a uh give us a missing a missing story we've asked it yeah we've asked for it several times but uh it hasn't come up trumps yet yeah. Maybe, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time. Uh, I was also going to be, you know, slightly uh, snarky and say, uh, take us to a story of a crashed spaceship, <laughs> 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 you know, hundreds of years after a spaceship has crashed, because we've never seen that. Yeah. Doctor Who, it's such a rare thing. It must be explored more. Let's see some corridors, uh, guys. <laughs> Let's see some running. Um, All right, so we also need to engage the executor. The executor, which is decides where in the codex we go. The executor is played by random.org, which uses atmospheric noise rather than computer algorithms to decide randomness, because randomness is not very random in, as far as computers are concerned. Uh, but atoms bouncing around the atmosphere is. It is how the... The Doctor, wherever he is in myth and legend, is communicating us with us through these uh, random um, atoms bouncing around up there. And uh, yeah, so we have uh, number one and number 299 as our constraints plugged in. And when Pete gives me the countdown, I'm going to tell him where we're going next. He's going to tell me what that number means. All right. All here right. comes the countdown
1: to this week. I will not do it in old High Gallifrey and I will do it in... <laughs> normal english so here it is four three two one
0: no not the mind probe. 136 well, i think we're still an old who and we um, have come
1: to attack of the cyberman <gasps> our first
0: cyberman story
1: yeah well we did closing time
0: we did closing time yep. but the first one with uh cyberman in the title that's true we, we did dark water death in heaven they were overshadowed right. by missy we've talked about this a lot actually on pull Open. Now, yeah. we haven't done a real uh cyberman or dalek episode uh, story at all
1: yeah this is this is the full on i mean yeah closing time was close but i mean like as we described in that podcast for many reasons mm. it's not a good representative cyberman story um, this one is a very interesting one because it has so many connections. I'm already drawing my randomizer connections, and we'll save it for next week. But um, it's got Time Lord stuff. It's got Cyberman stuff. It's it's the show also talking about its own history, which is mm. interesting. Uh, and this is actually the very first story in uh, well, God, what is it? Season, season twenty two. Yes, yeah. twenty two. Because uh, they actually did the first Colin Baker with the last story in the previous
0: season so right yeah so we're back to colin baker another colin baker baker to baker uh we are in that weird season where they did 45 minute episodes Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to work out what that means for tldw oh that's right we're just gonna do it on a new who kind of schedule yeah i think it's probably for the best but we'll (laughs) see
1: unless yes yes i am not going to challenge myself by <laughs> since yeah. I'm doing it. 30 seconds yeah. per episode would probably be not not quite enough. Especially this one's very timey-wimey too. So, yeah, I'm
0: looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, and it's got it's got two parts. It's it's mm-hmm. new whoish in in that sense that it's 45-minute episodes and kind of, kind of a bit darker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Okay, folks. Thanks so
1: much for listening. This has been Pull to Open, the podcast. It's a podcast. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to the program yet, please do. Uh, It's probably just a button on your app, and that way you go. And Feel free to share it with anyone else who you know likes Doctor Who, because we love to talk about it, and we love to uh, get feedback from them in the form of just listening, well, that's not feedback, but <laughs> commenting on the podcast or uh, on uh, social media or on a review. Please leave a review on your podcast platform, Apple especially. They really, really help the podcast reach more people. Uh, leave those reviews, keep them coming. Follow us on social media. We are at poll to open on TikTok tiktok is where we're most active lots of videos getting shared there all the time and we're also on twitter and instagram we're doing more and more on both so twitter on instagram we're told to open 63 we will see you next time for Tech attack of the cybermen guys and, Indeed, uh, and
0: until then may your chameleon circuit always break down and lock you in the shape of a police box all right take care folks and dematerializing